Welcome everyone to episode 17 of the Walls Within podcast. Today we're joined by Scott Foster, Chicago accountant by day and emergency backup goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks by night. Listen with us as we talk about his experiences growing up, playing college hockey, and an exclusive walkthrough of his 14-minute NHL appearance on March 29, 2018, that in his words was just another stop in his journey called life. Scott grew up a hockey kid in a work-hard, have-fun family from Sarnia, Ontario, who later played goalie for the Western Michigan University Broncos. Following college, he became a high-level beer league goalie and a full-time accountant while also starting a family and raising two kids. Scott shares his thoughts on the teamwork and adversity lessons of youth sport that translate to the perspective of what's important in adult life. He candidly talks about his college experience and a correction moment in his life that he still pulls from today. And finally, Scott summarizes his respect and admiration for the Blackhawks that night, who supported and respected him and ramped up their game to back him up as a teammate and not as an outsider. Awesome. Well, today, uh, Scott, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, with us. And I really, you know, I want to start out for those of you that, that haven't listened to Scott talk in the media. He's done a few different things you can find on YouTube. Um, I, I really wanted to start this conversation off talking about your experience with the Blackhawks. But there was a reporter in the postgame locker room that asked you a question. And I think your response was pure gold. And, uh, and, and I'm sure you'll remember this. I don't know the name of the reporter, but he asks, what's it like staring down a Dustin Bufflin slap shot? Do you remember your response? <laughs> I won't put you on the spot. You said you just kind of brace yourself and hope for the best. <laughs> and I, I think it's funny because the analogy of that quote to just life in general is just sort of brace yourself and hope for the best. Uh, I think it's awesome. It shows your humility uh, and it's a really, really cool, for those of you listening that haven't heard that post-game interview, it's honestly what inspired Curtis and I to get in touch with you, to invite you on the podcast, and really we wanted to pick your brain and kind of talk about that culminating experience of you playing uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks for 14 minutes back in 2018. But we also want to hear about your hockey journey and your story and kind of your your mental approach to things and, and sort of your perspective uh, just in life. So Scott... I know you grew up in, uh, you live in, live in Chicago now, but grew up in, uh, in Ontario, right? So really, if you could take us, take us on that, that kind of hockey journey, just like Curtis, just like every other hockey player I've ever met, it starts in your youth, right? So, so how does, how does hockey begin? For uh, you? my understanding, this is my, through my parents' words is a lot of crying. Uh, you know, I, they'd, they'd bring me, they signed me up for, for hockey, just like probably every Canadian kid. And, my first few trips to the rink, uh, I was in tears. I, I didn't want to go on the ice. I didn't want to be part of it. And then, they, you know, their their first reaction was, okay, he doesn't want to do this. we got to get him out of this sport. And then I cried because they were taking me out of hockey. So, um, you know, both both sides of it apparently are just an emotional roller coaster. But, um, you know, I grew up just playing uh, in Sarnia, where I'm from, Sarnia, Ontario, in the, the local minor hockey associations there. Um, and the, the irony of it is, is the first, the first little team I played for, there's this small little village that's kind of connected to Sarnia. I played for the Port, Point Edward Blackhawks. So my first ever photo of me playing goal is in a, in a Blackhawks jersey, a Point Edwards Blackhawks jersey. Awesome. So we have that kind of side by side of, uh, me and my red Point, Point Edward Blackhawks jersey and my, uh, you know, 
years and decades later in a, in a Blackhawks jersey uh, in the NHL, which which still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to this day. That's um, awesome. That is awesome. But, so I, I grew up playing just kind of the local uh, single-A hockey. We didn't have triple-A sort of in my area until I think I was a, in ma- Major Pee Wee at the time is when we got our first kind of county triple-A team. Um, and I don't even think I wanted to go play for it. A lot of my friends weren't kind of jumping into that. So it was going to be a lot of new teammates since it was going to be drawn from like a bigger area. So it wasn't until sort of the second year of that team when it was, you know, maybe this is something I should uh, maybe take a look at playing since it was kind of a, a big step up from, from where I was at uh, playing, playing like single A hockey. Um, especially because during that kind of time and era, it was, it was really about getting to junior hockey as fast as you could, no matter what sort of level it was. Uh, I remember going for tryouts to like, you know, junior C, junior D, it didn't matter. You just got to get to junior hockey. That's where you got to be as soon as, as soon as you can. And um, it almost felt like everything was off. If you weren't playing, you know, junior at 14 or 15, like who knows, like you're not making the NHL, which, you know, you kind of know that maybe that's not really what's going to happen anyways. But, um, so I, I ultimately played AAA um, for a couple of years, um, and I remember being about 16 years old and, and trying to make that leap into junior hockey. And you know, a lot of my my teammates were were getting onto teams and and being a late cut. And it that year sort of turned into such a pivotal pivotal year. Um, when I look at some of the later stages of, of my playing time, um, because it not only did I, there was no AAA anymore to play at that level. Uh, we didn't have like it, it the kind of cutoff of what they were offering was over. So it was going to be going back down to single A hockey, which felt like just such a, uh, a huge roadblock of, of where I thought I'd be going. Um, and that was sort of the year I was chasing anywhere to try to play junior hockey. Um, and and all, by the time you kind of get to all these trouts and stuff, teams are picked and things like that. So, um, But as it turns out, as devastating as that sort of fall was, as that year sort of moved along, uh, the local junior B team that we had um, ended up cutting a goalie or, or whatever they did. And I... I started playing uh, games and practices with that team. So now I'm getting you know, multiple ice times potentially a day playing junior hockey and single ho- a hockey. Um, and the, the bigger story really of that is the coach that had come in, uh, there was a whole bunch of kind of things that happened with that team, but so they had a new coach as well. That ultimately became my junior coach later in my career, which was somebody that I really like enjoyed playing for. He was kind of instrumental in, in sort of my player development. Um, so that was sort of one of the times that I look to as saying, you know, where I thought it was kind of all over was really just sort of the beginning of, of my journey and, and kind of like a, a restart almost. Um, so that was, uh, it, again, it was just sort of one of those times that you look to. 
So, so lots of, lots of ups, ups and downs, right? Your career is not like your hockey career isn't paved for you. Like there's, there's, it looks like there's, there's roadblocks. You mentioned there's roadblocks, adversity. You're, you're kind of plugging and, and plugging through trying to get on a junior team. That, that desire to want to keep at it and face all that adversity, did that translate to other things in your life or was it always, just all about hockey, and that was kind of the galvanizing thing for you. What do you think? Um, for me, I, I I don't think I ever knew what I really wanted to do. I mean, growing up as a kid, you'd probably always look to that, like, what do you want to be when you're older? I want to be an NHL player. Like, it was just kind of the thing maybe you said. Um, I don't know that I had, like, other career aspirations. And, and obviously, I sit here today as as not having spent a career playing in the NHL. I'm an accountant by day, so obviously it took quite a – I don't know that I would ever been a – you know. An, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid saying, I want to be an accountant when I'm, when I'm all grown up. Um, but, but it's those types of things that I, I look at, you know, I've, I've looked at my professional journey in my working life. And, and I've, I, on, I say oftentimes, like, I've never quit a job, but I've, I've left jobs because, you know, companies have closed or they've outsourced different groups and things. And, and how do you manage those times? Um, because now you have, you know, you have a family that you're, that you're worried about and, and different things. And you can kind of point to those times maybe when you were growing up um, in hockey about like when the chips were down, how did you sort of respond to those times? And, and it's, was it about just throwing it in and moving on or was it, you know, just finding what, what's the next path we can take that can kind of keep things moving, moving forward? So I, I I do look back to those things and and maybe at the time it seemed devastating but um, it was really just growth opportunities at the end of the day. I think I mean that's one of the reasons why we put our kids into sport right is to learn those lessons that may not translate to a college or professional career but translate in life. So how would you say hockey sort of helped pave your professional path? You know, was was there a direct translation in the lessons? I, I think there's a direct link. I mean, part of it is dealing with other people, right? Like you're the, the team aspect to me has been one of the, the, the greatest learning tools that I think sport has brought. You're dealing with a lot of different personalities. Um, you don't control every piece of, of the, of the puzzle of, of, of moving forward and, and learning that, to accept that, that you, you, you have to kind of play a role amongst this bigger group. Um, and then to me, that's just a direct translation into my professional life. Um, and, and ironically, you sort of look at some of the things that I do on a day to day and you're working on your own. It, it's almost like a direct translation to how I was, what my role was on a team. And, and, you know, you're as a, as a goaltender, oftentimes you're kind of in your own little world, but you, you, you have like this piece you're playing amongst the team. And that's sort of how I've ended up uh, in my, in my working life too. Um, so it, there's a lot that I see that you can kind of draw upon and sort of that ebbs and flows of, of the wins and the losses and, and different things that you're experiencing um, as well as just like tough times in scheduling. Like, I, I work a kind of a cyclical life where it's quarter ends, year ends, and you know it's sort of translates into 
those tougher tar- parts of schedules or practices and games and things you're dealing with and how you're managing all that and and trying not to get overwhelmed by the by that singular moment and kind of keeping your your perspective on the the end goals it's it's funny last time we talked with uh with Justin Goldman and we talked about this idea of control and we talked about relinquishing those things that you know you can't control and trying to control the things that you can knowing the difference between the two and using that to sort of find your role and perform your task and not get overwhelmed by all this, but I, this, this, this stray voltage of things that you have no control over. And so the translation of that to professional life, to family life, to being a, a spouse and being a dad, you know, all that is the, the translation is, is, is huge. And so, Curtis, this idea that he brings up of, of control, how, how much did you spend throughout your career wrapping yourself up early on trying to control things that you couldn't instead of just focusing on the things that you could control? It's really crazy to think about. And I, you know, maybe our position more than any other is so dependent on those individuals in that group that is playing in front of us. And obviously they're there are only so many things the goalie can take care of, right? And and I find the higher up you get in hockey, uh, the more clearly defined your role and what your job is in order to take away certain scenarios just because the game moves so fast. And Scott, you would have seen this in your game is that, and you knew from playing high-level college hockey that you had a specific responsibility in every certain situation, right? And if you took care of your job, a defenseman or a forward took care of their job, odds are that that puck was staying out of the net. And in the event that there was a breakdown at any point, odds are it was going in the net. So it's, it's such an interesting role that we play as, as goalies on a team. And yet we're so dependent and we have to relinquish so much control to other things that are outside of us. And uh, I don't know. I love that aspect of it. I love that the translation that you talk about to a a work life, um, especially outside of sports and, you know, I'm, I'm in that environment now. I'm, I'm learning as I go. I'm butting my head just like I did when I was a younger kid trying to relinquish control to other players to do a certain job. Um, and Dave, you'll be uh, entering the workforce as well one day, which will be great to hear about. But um, I don't know. I think that role as a goalie is just so unique. I, I don't know if there's many other positions in the game of hockey that you're so dependent on those players in front of you. Yeah. And I, I think about too, is that, you know, you're giving up this control and, but then over the course of the game, these, these situations happen and, and other players get to go back to the bench and they have other people to sort of lean on. And you're, you're just standing in net lost in your own thoughts, um, you know, battling with yourself and, you know, that, that can be a, a difficult and uh, time yeah. to sort of navigate uh, when the, when things aren't going quite how you had hoped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gord, Gord Downey wrote a great song. You guys may know it, "The Lonely End of the Rink." <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you if you've heard that or know that song, but it's a good one by the Hip. Anyway, so let's let's fast forward a little bit. So, uh, Scott, it's actually funny we have kind of a common uh, connection. I coach youth hockey with one of your former teammates at, from Western Michigan, uh, Brett, uh, John, and, and, uh, I know you guys played together. So what's, what's your experience like at Western Michigan? And I know that reporters have asked you again in that Blackhawk interview, that post game interview, 
did you, at that point you get to Western Michigan, you know, you, you obviously play hockey your whole life. Now you're playing division one college hockey. Is the NHL still a goal or are you just, are you just more myopic and just trying to play the best you can at the level you're at? Or are you still thinking about further hockey aspirations? I don't recall getting to division one and, and really pondering the next steps of, of hockey career is more probably living in the moment. And, um, you know, that was a pretty eye opening experience. Um, you know, looking back, maybe you don't have the successes and things that you want. And and we can kind of get into some of my thoughts on, on, on those kind of days as well, but I wasn't, uh, I don't know that I ever had this next step goal. Um, and, and even then, when I stepped on campus, I don't even know if I had my next step, like, educational goals in mind. Um, so I, I think from both sides of it, it was kind of a day-to-day sort of figuring it out where my journey was going to take me and um, not really too focused on destination at that point. Um so we can talk about that. So what are, what are some of the what are the some of the things that you think you you picked up in your life that prepared you for those, you know, maybe you didn't have the career you wanted or maybe you weren't sure what you wanted to do when you finished college. Like what what are some of the common threads of things that you've seen turn you into a success now that you that you learned in college? One of the things that Curtis and I keep coming back to in this podcast and we talk about, you know, if we had had coaching and mentoring on the mental aspect of things, you know, dealing with adversities, dealing with setbacks. All I really had was what I learned from my mom and dad and watching their setbacks and adversities, but I never really had anything formal. I was always kind of of the school of thought being taught, just quit crying, rub some dirt on it, toughen up and, and march forward. And, and if the wall, if, if the wall stops, you just hit it harder. Right. And, and if we can use that analogy, we've, we've, talked about this at length. And so did you pick up anything throughout your youth and growing up that prepared you for those, those roadblocks, or did you just sort of have to kind of stooge through it? Like, I feel like the rest of us that are in our late thirties and early forties had to do, because I feel like kids now are actually starting to get exposed to some techniques um, and some, and some skills and some things. That's kind of the whole point of this podcast is, is successful people talking about their own failures and infallibilities, you know, so what are, what are some of those things, some of those common threads? Yeah, you, you, you talk about that rub some dirt on it sort of mentality. I think <laughs> in my house, it was more like the work hard, have fun type of narrative. Mm-hmm. My parents weren't going to push me um, to do anything. They were just going to kind of support me along the way as whatever I needed, but um, it wasn't going to be like, you're doing this or you're doing that. Just, if you want to do something, just work hard at it. Make sure you're having fun with it. Um, it you know, I I have a, what I think is a, kind of an even-keeled temperament, um, trying to avoid maybe the, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and and maybe sometimes that strips some of the joy out of, of some of the things that I have happened because um, I'm not trying to ride the wave too high either. But uh, I look at sort of – my my days heading into Western Michigan, my my final year of junior was was maybe not the best of years. I think I was probably recruited on the seasons prior to that, um, so I, I had committed to go to Western. Uh, we had a coaching change at the beginning of that year, and I don't think I was the 
wasn't really the best fit for not only myself as a player, but the team. And um, I think I struggled through the beginning of that kind of fine, my last final season. We had another coaching change through that year. Um, and I think I started to get into this mindset of if I had success that I had to sort of recreate that moment each time I was going to go to play. And it wasn't, it was kind of like all the steps leading up to the game. It was, you know, it was beyond routine and, and superstition. It could be, you know, everything from what you're eating to the steps you take to the rink to everything. And you're, you know, that involves other people and it, it was mentally exhausting, right? Like the game, the game became infinitely harder to play because you're worried about all these things that are outside of anything that you can really control. And, you know, you're, they talk practice is kind of supposed to be the hard part and the games are supposed to be fun. And it was almost becoming the other way around, which is kind of a problem, right? Like games need to be where you're kind of relaxed and can kind of just go about your business and, and do what you need to do. And, and it wasn't becoming that. And I, I think I dragged some of that, I don't think. I know I dragged a lot of that with me to Western. And so when the times got tough, I was just leaning back into those moments of like, when I had a good game, what did I do like the entire day? And let's do that whole thing again. And it's just not realistic. And um, when I got like, I look at you can look at my stat lines easily. And I played, you know, 30 something games my sophomore year and zero my my junior year. And that was the toughest year, not because I wasn't playing, because now I'm worried about everything else. Like, you know, your team loses a game and you're like, well, play me. I won. Well, you don't get to choose that. And so you're just you're getting lost in everything that's outside of like what you're doing. And um, luckily enough, the before my senior year, I, I went to a, actually a Mitch Corn camp and, and I couldn't tell you one thing that I picked up from a physical skill from that week at all. But, but during that time, uh, um, kind of sports psychology person was kind of brought, brought in. And, and that part was sort of an eye opener for me. Um, and one that I really look to for like what I'm doing day to day now. And it was, you know, you made it, you made it to division one, not by chance, like, People thought you belonged here for a reason. So chances are you do. And all the decisions about who plays or, or what's going on or your day-to-day -day type of stuff, it, it's just that's outside of what you're doing. Like you just need to focus on the things that, you know, you can handle and and remember that you belong here. And it was it was just sort of that a mental reset. It was almost like someone took this weighted vest I was wearing and just ripped it off of me and headed into that like senior year. Again, I don't, I didn't play much at all, but I got some fun back in the game. Like I enjoyed being at the rink, just going out and playing hockey, being with my teammates, not worrying about other things. And, um, you know, to me that that's, something that I've kind of dragged along to now is that I don't let things sort of just get to me. Like I'm going to do my best. I'm going to work hard at it. 
I'm going to try to enjoy what I'm doing. And whatever happens, happens. Would you consider that moment in your college career and that experience at that camp as kind of a turning point for your ability to deal with that kind of stuff? Or, or did you have help along the way? Or was that sort of a, an opportunity for you to just vector, vector change and go, okay, this is, this is the path now that I'm going. I think it was, it, it was probably something of a, I, I call it maybe a reset, but it, it probably was a, a, a bit of a course correction. Um, I, I think oftentimes as a kid, I, you know, have, you know, it was never, never maybe the hottest prospect or anything like that. I just kind of played and did my thing and that was that. And I never worried about, you know, like stat lines or showmanship or I never was going to break my stick over the net cause I gave up a goal or whatever the case may be. And, um, I, I, I'm not suggesting that I got away from or that I was, you know, all of a sudden that type of player or person. But um, I think at least internally, I was starting to sweat things that I that I didn't really need to be worrying about. And again, I don't know that it, it didn't matter in terms of, a, you know, a hockey career. But I, I think just generally speaking of when times get tough with with work and you have, you know, family expectations and things like that, it, it kind of lets me keep things in perspective and identify what, what's truly important and the other parts that I can just sort of, you know, I don't, I don't need to worry about this. Like it'll be okay on the, the, the other side of this when we get there. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I, I sort of look at it as like a, a, a correction moment or a reset and, one that um, I think has been like extremely valuable to me at this point in my life. And Scott, I'm with you. Like I can remember that whole experience going from the junior hockey into college. And then all of a sudden the thought process started changing a little bit. The stakes seemed to be a little bit higher and they started trickling into how I was going about my day to day. And, you know, it's gosh, I would have loved that just friendly little reminder what are you doing here in the first place? And it was because you, you loved playing a game genuinely you just loved the position. And I, and I still do to this day, but in all throughout my career um, playing the, the moments that I enjoyed the most were honestly the practices, right? Because the stakes just became so high. And for me doing the role that I was doing, it was win or lose. I knew I was probably glued to the bench for at least another two weeks before I'd get an opportunity in order to correct or, sit back and relish in the win that I had just pulled off for the team. So, man, I would have loved a friendly reminder, you know, I, that what just you listening to you talk about that experience at the Mitch corn camp and, and having someone, um, whether that's Mitch himself or a sports psychologist, just kind of remind you of what you began doing and why you're doing it. It would have been so helpful and it doesn't seem like much, which is the wild part when you really think about it. But, it's it's hard when you you start kind of absorbing all that um, outside input, I guess, and start thinking that oh, I need to repeat exactly what I did in the last game because I won. Which really, when you look back on it, you kind of like kind of sounds crazy. Like, what am I doing to myself? And then you know, as time goes on, 
that whole experience may become larger and larger where it's like your entire day is monopolized by what you think you need to do in order to get ready for a game. Yeah. And rituals and habits and yeah, all that. Yeah. And I mean, it, again, hindsight is 2020, right? Just throw out mm-hmm. a, a, a catchphrase or, or whatever. But um, I, I, I can't honestly say if I got that reminder, like that my career would have been any different, but it, it would have made it, um, I don't know, maybe maybe somewhat more enjoyable at, at times. And I don't look back with yep. any of it with regret. Like that, that just to be very clear, like I, I loved my time there and I would do it in a heartbeat. And it's just like everything in life. It's all just learning experiences. Um, but yeah, the unnecessary pressure that I was putting on myself Yes. just to play a game um, just seems almost silly to me today at 41 years old. <laughs> I look back, I was doing the same thing two years ago, <laughs> you know, and I'd been in it for so long and I was still doing the exact same stuff that we're talking about. So, you know, it's um, I guess that's part of the reason that Dave and I linked up to do something like this was to kind of relay this message and, provide that friendly reminder that don't be so hard on yourself. Sometimes don't get caught up and, and remember that what you started out doing, playing a a game, whether that was on a pond or in organized hockey was because you genuinely loved the game of hockey in itself, which is what I think we all do. Yeah. And and I know for me, it's been just like important from a day to day perspective now of just kind of picking out the, the pieces that I, that I really need to focus on and, and kind of ignore the the noise. Mm-hmm. So you you have this this turning point in college. You still have a love of the game, and you graduate, and your professional hockey career doesn't really happen. And you just keep so you go into the to the workforce, start a family, and all those things. And uh, and hockey is still where is that in your level of priority throughout your life post college? Um, is it always is it always high or or do you ebb and flow where you you go maybe a year or two not playing or I, that, I definitely did not have that and I, I think that was actually the the one other thing that sort of course corrected was I because I got more enjoyment out of it when when I was sort of done playing competitively I I wasn't done playing and and I don't know if I felt yeah. like I had I'll use maybe the unfinished business kind of line. Um, I certainly wasn't going to finish that playing beer league hockey and stuff like that, but um, I I still enjoyed being in the net. And uh, yeah. maybe my body doesn't enjoy it as much today, but but I still I still like it. Right? It it's the thrill, and and it it I, sort of scratches that itch. So I I for sure. When I finished playing, I I laugh as both my knees are burning from a game I played like four nights ago. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> the um, <laughs> so when I finished up playing, I had the opportunity to actually go to grad school and be a grad assistant with the team. So I was sort of around the game still, oh. and um, you know, I would throw on my gear for practice if if needed and things like that. So maybe that was my first uh, 
my true first experiences with this like emergency type role of a goalie of, but, but that was a lot different when you're just one year out of playing versus, uh, you know, 12 or 15 years out of playing. But, um, that's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> so the, but it doesn't leave you. Right. I mean, like you still know, even as a 40 year old, like you still know, and you're in touch with the college kid that, that has this game day mindset, like, all right, let's go. You know, I'm going to enter my, my bubble and now I'm, now I'm ready to go, you know? And so I, I don't, I don't think you lose that, that mindset to be able to shift gears and jump into game mode. Right. I, I, I hope not. I hope that doesn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like I need maybe, to maybe your skills and your reactions <laughs> leave your stamina, your fit, fitness, all that stuff. But, but the psyche, I guess the competitiveness still doesn't leave. Right. Yeah. So, so like, I, I mean, I was, uh, still on the ice and stuff in, in grad school. And when I moved up to the Chicagoland area, I was kind of in that limbo of uh, the Canadian kid in the U S so needing kind of work visa type, type stuff to sort it out. So um, when I landed here, because I was still sorting out the work side, um, I guess my real first question was, oh, where was I going to get some ice time? I didn't know. I knew people from Chicago, but, but, uh, you know, those guys were were off making their, you know, beginnings of their professional career. So it was like, hey, where can I find where can I find some ice? And they all pointed me to um, to Johnny's Ice House here in Chicago. So one of my first things when I moved up, uh, moved up this way was to to get in contact with that rink. And I, I still kind of chuckled to this day where they told me to, like, fill out this like free agent form. I'm like, I just want to skate. Uh, like, no, no, you, we, that's a pretty scary yeah. league, man. And so, uh, I think I was on that list for like three hours or something. Cause you know, college division one goalie didn't yeah. last long that's for, classic. uh, for beer league teams to start, to start calling. And I, I, I've showed up to rinks and, and they've asked me, do you have your own gear? And they're like, okay, cool. You're in, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's kind that's of funny awesome. that that's kind of been, the. That was like the the transition and and guys I still sort of play with now, or at least the lineage of them as as guys have come in and out um, was some free agent list at a rink here in town. But uh, that's hilarious. I didn't know it was that, that competitive. I mean, I'm up here in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and it's like if you're a goalie, you're in the net. <laughs> that's great. And we've got our playoff game. Our first playoff game is tonight, and our starting goalie is. He's out of town, so we, we got to put in the backup. I'm I'm the default third stringer, which basically means that if I'm in the net, I'm not showing up to the game that night because there's no way I can get back <laughs> in there. For one, I, I will say the physical side of it just it hurts, and then as I've mentioned to Dave, the ego side would probably not be able to swallow that one. <laughs> that's that's it's funny. tough. I've seen all those change ups and broken plays and. Yeah, I don't even want to go there. Yeah, it's uh, it can get interesting. I I think I shied away from uh, like non-game style skates for a for a long time. I don't think I could mm -hmm. do like pickup skates because of because of that. It just made me too mad. Um, yeah. So I I only played in games. Um, I've kind of dropped that a bit now because I have good groups that I skate with and stuff. But nice. Um, so yeah, it was. It was that's how I got sort of into playing here, and um, you know, so much of it was just being around a team and and 
wanting to make sure that that sort of element of my life was was still present since I it had been such a key component of it forever that um, it wasn't something that I was looking to sort of really lose. Um, so I, I was starting to skate, you know, in beer league hockey, and and that was kind of giving me my fix that I needed. That's and awesome. and you're at the ice house. So how on earth do you go from getting picked up as a free agent in the beer leagues to becoming an e-bug? So, because I still find this the most incredible story in the fact that, um, get picked for that. I think we've seen it a few times this season already too, right? Yep. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Yeah. Um, the kid, what was it? How do you, how do you get linked up so, with a team? So with the Hawks here in town, um, they had been for a while, as their practice rink out in, uh, in Bensonville. But then, uh, that's, that's perfect. I'm surprised. I'm not that's great. I, I, wait, where's my, where, where's my snipping tool? Oh this, man. I got a screenshot for those of you that can't see the video. Curtis's cat just walked across his neck and shoulders. Classic. <laughs> it's, it's classic. My, my cat slash parrot. <laughs> yeah. We got it. We got it. We'll leave that one in. Sorry to distract no, you. Scott. No worries. <laughs> No, the uh, so yeah, the Hawks here in town had been practicing out in Bensonville, but then uh, Johnny's built uh, what was Johnny's what did they call Johnny's West, and um, it was just a, a few blocks from the United Center, so they had, the Hawks moved kind of back into the city to practice. So they were they were practicing up there, and um, it it all kind of goes back to that story out of um, Florida with Luongo and Montoya. And maybe Dwayne Rolson potentially having to go in that and, and all of this. And, and that's when the league sort of cracked down saying, like, we need a lit, like this list of guys or something. We need a plan sort of in place for these situations. And um, it was nothing more than, than a list of, of players that they could call in the event that they needed someone to come and play. And uh, because the Hawks practiced at Johnny's, um, the late John Morrow was the, or he's the owner um, of, of Johnny's Ice House. They went to him and said, do you know anybody we could kind of put on this list? And uh, at the time, I had skated with Tommy and, and stuff like that. And so he threw my name out there. Uh, you know, I had uh, just an, you know, an amateur player, but, but had Division One experience and stuff. So, um, you know, lo and behold, I got an email um, from the Hawks asking if I wanted to be on this emergency goalie list. And, um, you know, it was a funny story to tell, I guess, at the time that, you know, when all goes down, like I could get a call to go to the NHL and, you know, you think it's kind of funny. Um, and that only lasted for, for a year, I, I think, um, when they, they flipped it to where you had to be in the rink. Um, okay. and so it wasn't quite, uh, to me, I, my first reaction was actually to decline. Um, it went from a funny story to a time commitment, and you know, yeah. kids, yeah. work, life. Yeah. And I'm not chasing the NHL dream. Um, so it because that's a lot. That's a lot of hockey to be present at, right? Or if you're the only one doing it, you're you're taking in 41 home games. Yeah, luckily. Um, being Chicago and the amount of players and stuff here, it's the commitment wasn't going to be um, like kind of all or nothing. 
there was a there was okay. enough to kind of where we could have like two or three guys and you could take like a chunk of the schedule. And I know there's oh, okay. there's some teams where they have one guy and he's there at every game and and maybe in a, a you know a different part of your life and age and commitments and stuff that works. But um, that certainly wouldn't have been my case. Um, so I think that first year I, I only took, ended up taking like a dozen games. Um, I think and in the end of it, I did maybe 15 picking up extras guys couldn't make a game or something like that. Um, but again, it's just probably to the, the, the area that we're in and, and the quality of players that are around. So it was, uh, sheer because Tommy Morrow gave my name to, to, to the Hawks that, you know, that whole 14 minutes of hockey was played for me. Um, I love that. What's the mindset going in to a game when you're going to watch it? Are you just whatever? I'm just, I got to drag my bag into the rink or do you just leave in your car um, or do you bring everything in? And so just in case <laughs> the answer to all those questions is, is yes. Uh, I, I bring my, my gear or bring my gear into the rink. Um, at that point in time, I, I certainly, I don't believe I ever went into the rink like, you know what, I could play in the NHL tonight. I can't even imagine bringing, lugging my gear bag into an NHL rink, knowing the only game being played was Winnipeg versus Chicago. Like, I can't, like I can't even fathom that. I'm sorry. The, uh, so, I, again, I, I almost call myself, like, naive back uh, with my mindset at the time is, you know, I worked, I'd worked my day job just like normal. Um, I didn't do anything different. Um, again, maybe, maybe I should have been thinking differently. Um, or maybe that paid off because I wasn't overthinking things. Um, I just, you know, showed up at the rink, dropped my bag wherever they told me they wanted to leave my, wherever they told me it was kind of the landing spot for it. And upstairs I went and my next thought was like, what's the press meal like, uh, tonight and where can I get a cup of, you- a cup of M&Ms? What? Yeah, there we go. Now we're talking like a real backup. Oh, yeah, I love that. Are you where? Are you up in the press box? So I'm envisioning you get the good parking. You're probably down by the buses and the team team cars and all that yep. stuff. So you're coming in. You you walk up the ramp there. You hang a left over to go to the the Hawks like dressing room area. I'm assuming that you must be in a room over there. You just set your bag and then you go. Are you in the press box or where do they put so, you? Are you right in with the stands, so that, the fans? That season, um, given it was the first go round of that, um, maybe me showing my age, like after the first game, I gave them like a, a digest of like, I worked the home opener, so I was the first one to do it. And I'm like, here's all the things that need to be easier. Like this doesn't need to be mm-hmm. as hard as it needs to be. Like just, I part, we, so now, yeah, we parked downstairs. I, I used to throw my gear right by the refs, uh, ref's locker room which was right kind of to the left and around the corner there um Mm -hmm. because theoretically you could go for either team so you're not they're not going to have you uh kind of dump your gear in in, um in any particular place so every team i know probably works it a little bit differently and and then i would just wander over and grab the elevator up to the press box um in the years since uh we sit in a seat now uh down in the 200 level because uh, okay. the following year, apparently, I, you know, you're a draw to the press, right? So they didn't want me to be a, mm. a problem upstairs since I'm such an outgoing character. Yeah, you're just mingling with all of them, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? Uh, <laughs> and so when somebody actually does get hurt or 
was it someone who was sick or did they get injured in the game? I can't recall in, now. In my instance, um, I was actually on the way to the rink when um, I started to get like frantic phone calls of where I was because uh, Forsberg, Anton Forsberg had been hurt um, mm-hmm. yeah, before even getting dressed. Yeah, like in warm up, like playing soccer. Yeah, right? something, something down, uh, you know, in the tunnel and stuff before the game. So yeah. um, when I got to the rink, my my night was completely different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my gear was getting hauled to go get set up in a in the room, um, kind of getting walked around, getting uh, up to speed on what what was taking place. And so now, you know, I'm walking in into the training room and they're humming and hawing on whether I need to sign this you know, ATO for the night and asking if I want to go stretch in the weight room and like stretch. What does that mean? Even I don't need to warm up Just three minutes <laughs> yeah. on the clock. It's fine. Old school. <laughs> oh, man. Um, on, let me go. Yeah. So, um, it, it was a little bit different, uh, kind of night. So after, after I signed and, and kind of got changed, I, that's when I got to like walk into the room and they already have your like Jersey hanging up with name and number and your gears in the stall and all that stuff. So it was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. That was kind of me, the the, did, the best part. Did they pick number 90 for you or was that your pick? I did not get to pick 90. Um, I don't, I don't even know that I could pull, would have pulled that number out of my pocket. It had I, and nor do I think uh, I'm going to complain too much. About getting, uh, you know, an NHL jersey at least. Uh, of course not. That's <laughs> great. That's great. So, so you got warm ups, right? You took warm ups like it was just a regular. I did not. I got game. dressed uh, during warm up. They were just headed out when I, because that's usually the the kind of protocol is is to be there for warm up. So I was getting my gear on when they were going out. Um, okay. One of the the oddities of these rules is if you don't. If you don't sit on the bench, you're kind of like not part of the game yet. And so mm-hmm. if you enter, if you have to enter the game, you can get warm up then. Versus if I would have oh. went out for warm up, that is my warm up. And if you have to go play, you just have to play. Okay. Interesting. So it's almost like an exhibition game where you get your token, like five shots and your glove blocker and then supposedly you're warm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got a dozen shots, stop six. Um, and then it was, all right, let's play in the NHL. Yeah. That's like, you were doing like the old rope a dope thing with the jets over there, right? They're watching this thinking they were going to have a field day. They're they're just sizing you up, chomping at the bit with drool coming out of the corner. I I remember, uh, you know, you're getting a couple guys are out there, you know, they, they rookies or whatever, and they're shooting pucks at you and I can't get the cadence down. So, Every other shot's just going back in the, in the back of the net, and they they run out of pucks. They ski over me like, "You want some more?" And I was just like, "No, let's just go." Yeah, let's <laughs> go. No, we're done here. Like, yes, let's oh go. my gosh, what a! And so uh, you know, in in the interview, you talk about when you actually see who's so who's starting that game. You had Forsberg as the goalie. Who was it? Was it De- Delia, Colin Delia. Yeah, Colin Delia was. Um, he ended up starting, but it was it was supposed to be Forsberg playing with Colin backing up. He had he had just come up from Rockford. That was his first. That was his. Yeah, he was. That was his. He was, I believe, slated to start the next night. So he came up, took morning skate. You know, took the skate after the morning skate, getting all the shots, getting kind of prepared to play the next night. 
And then several hours later, he was like thrown in to his first NHL start. With me, and you're with in me the back. This, in the there. Behind I'm, him, ass- yeah. I'm assuming you're watching. So I, you know, Chicago's benches are extremely tight. I know the Chicago backup goalie sits tucked in the corner there. Um, the opposing team, I would normally just sit in the dressing room and watch the game on TV. Were you doing the same thing? Yeah, I was because uh, you weren't on the bench. So one of the the, I, I, there's probably a photo of this lurking around somewhere. Of I, I'm sitting in the players' lounge, full gear, no gloves, helmet, um, wedged into like a leather chair between like Taze and Crawford, watching this game on TV. Cup of M and M's in hand, of yeah. course. Um, so I watched, I watched each, uh, each period from the players lounge in full gear while all these guys were just sitting around in street clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, and you see Colin get injured. Then what, like, what does it, do the guys in the room just like look at you or do they start telling you to get your stuff or like, does someone run back or how do they, how do you get word out that it's like, Hey man, you're, so, you're going I, in. I mean, I, I think there was a few jokes made at the time because they thought, you know, he, he took more of an errant shot and was more just shaking one of those off. Um, okay. I don't think I saw it as that. Um, so that's when I think the nerves start to kick in. Um, there was a, a little bit later than that, like Taze ended up apologizing to me. He's like, I'm sorry, I probably made you so nervous. I started freaking out, going wild. And I'm like, you were talking to me? I don't. I I'm sorry, I don't recall. <laughs> um, but that's when, like, the, uh, I think one of the equipment guys came back and said, like, hey, you might be coming out. Like, you might want to go and grab your stuff. I think he had to say it a couple times before I actually, like, responded and started acting sure. on that. Um, and even that's when, like, the assistant coaches came back and stuff and said, like, you have to go play. Like, now, nah. like, <laughs> And then it hits you. Go outside. Right? And yeah. Oh my God. And I and I, and I just remember you walking out there and, and the whole man, I just it's such a bizarre thing. I think you said in the interview too, it's almost like you just black out, right? And I've almost preferred this when you have no heads up because I felt like the lead up to games at times was knowing that you were gonna be starting that game was almost a little more overwhelming versus just being tossed into a game with no heads up no anticipation on our end at least that it was almost sometimes easier yeah and and i if it just dropped and it's like get out there you're in and you don't have time to think about it you're just you're just acting right you're you're falling back on everything that you've been doing in that career that you've had up until that point yeah and that's why sometimes i i think that like that naive that naive nature that i took through the whole thing even even on a night like that at no point was that i recall like sitting there saying like you know one misstep here and i'm i'm next like this is like i'm in full gear for a reason now like i didn't i wasn't watching this game thinking about that i was just watching the game you know sitting in now at any other particular reason you're you're watching the game yeah i'm watching a game in full gear now it's like nothing was weird about that at all um but yeah, it, some of it is, it's honestly was like sensory overload, right? Like that, yeah. that night was, um, they were doing the Seabrook <clears throat> 1000 game celebration. So United center was, was full. Um, 
it was obviously loud. You had other people making their first like NHL games and things like that. So there was a lot going on. So up until that point, you were really just sort of truly in the background, much like mm-hmm. maybe you you want to be. Um, but it was almost like too much to take in that you just didn't take any of it in. I think there's whole pockets right. of that night that the only reason I even know what happened was because I went back and watched it on TV. Did, do you um, do you consciously remember compartmentalizing some of that stuff, or did it happen automatically? Um, there was definitely a few times when I made conscious decisions to avoid stuff that I know might have made me think. As weird as that might yeah. sound, like oh no, I completely um, get it. Like going to the bench on a TV timeout, like mm-hmm. players on the bench are going to want to talk to you. Yeah. And I did not want to talk to them. Like, <laughs> like I don't want to. I don't want to talk about what I'm. What's going on right now? Like, yeah. Um, so you... I need to. So I'm curious. I know some e-bugs have a relationship with the teams that they back up. Sometimes they'll skate and practice as like a third goalie or something like that. But to be clear, you had no experience with any of these guys in the room. And none of them really knew you other than when you e-bugged, maybe you'd pass them in the hallway or something, right? But you didn't have a relationship where you'd ever been on the ice with any of these guys. Is At that, that point, yeah. So, okay. you know, you're getting dressed uh, when they're getting ready to go for warm-up, and that's your yeah, introduction. So, yeah, it's pregame. Nobody's sitting there having a chit-chat about where you're from and where you played hockey in the hallway. Like, it's, it's business. Yep, they're just, hey, nice to meet you. You know, I'm sure. so-and-so. That's it. Um, and so then, the one of the other one. Go yeah, on, and then sorry. all of a sudden your uh, your teammates for real. Yeah. Wow. You uh, you you walk out from the tunnel and and they 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 like to show this clip too of Joe Quinville just like chuckling. Did did you walk past him and make eye contact with any of those no. guys when no, you walk past? Absolutely or you just, not. Tunnel, tunnel vision, find the door, don't trip, don't fall, skate to the net, and let's do this. Yeah, that's that's the best way to summarize that. Um, <laughs> it kind of goes back to like those moments where you think about like what you you do, what you want to do, and what you don't want to do. I, I remember like letting taking a glance up up the the stands, and not not just like where your head's kind of in that motion, but like actually zeroing in on like what people are doing. And being like, that was a terrible idea. Don't don't do that ever again. Like, were they when you look when you did that? Were they looking at you, or were they just? Well, it was all just it? cell phones taking pictures of you, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. wow. What? Okay. Like, let's go back to them not being here. <laughs> this is this is a. Did it occur to you at that point during the game that this was a life changing? experience and would you consider it a life-changing experience or was it just another path or just another stop in the journey of Scott? Um, another stop in the journey. Um, okay. I, I definitely did not consider it life-changing in the moment. Um, you know, there, there, I think a lot was made about choices about not to do a lot of like media or press um, a- afterwards and you'd think there was a lot of like thought put into that and or some like grander scheme. And it was really just me walking out of the United Center that night, 
with Adam Rodwin going, hey, you know, like there's going to be, we have media requests and stuff coming in. Like, what are your thoughts on handling that? And me just saying like, no, I'm good. Like you can just decline. It's fine. It's not like I thought about it. It was just, he asked and I responded. I, I didn't know anything about what was going to take place. You know, I just got off the ice half an hour earlier or whatever it was. Um, and so clearly I, I hadn't even contemplated that, um, that it was a big deal, whether it was maybe it just cause it didn't seem like a big deal to me. I agreed to be a emergency backup and I had to do what I said I would do. <laughs> so you're, you're a, you're not just another e-bug that played in an NHL game. You're an NHL first because you have the very first save that an e-bug made in an NHL game. Yep, and thankfully the first shot I faced, I saved. So I don't have to, Yeah, I don't know. I, that felt extremely important to me, maybe. I, I bet. I don't know. It was, I mean, that first save for any goalie is important. I can't imagine that at the, at the position you were in that night to make that first one and go, all right, I can do this. And, and that's, I think was sort of the mentality too of like it was the the check-in that it was it's just hockey so just play and and Mm -hmm. you know Curtis you talked about how at that level like it really zeroes in on like the the skill level and things like there's only so much you're going to do and everybody else is sort of responsible for their job it's even probably magnified at when your skill level isn't at an NHL skill level like you are sort of at the mercy of of what everybody else is going to do. So don't, don't sweat it. Just play, just play. Right. And what, uh, what's the post game look like? I imagine there was a big cool down, right? A little, maybe crack a beer afterwards, or do you just undress, do your post game interview and then you're kind of out the door. Um, like, yeah, this- so I, you know, I did a little thing where they, you know, your, your name first star for 14 minutes and then, on the ice little mm-hmm. interview. And, and that's where I probably struggled with words the most because I still hadn't kind of maybe come out of the days yet. Um, and you get in and there's, you know, hooting and hollering with the team and, and stuff like that. So that's when you kind of get into the media scrum afterwards. And I remember doing the, the in-room stuff with, with the press and then going out and doing some TV. And then by the time I got back in the room, it was empty. Oh no so, way! Because you were the, you were there that long. Okay. Well, part of it was at the at the second, I think it was the second intermission. Parchi told me like, "Hey, we've got to we're taking off immediately after the game because we got to get to Colorado for a game tomorrow night." So, right. you know, you keep the jersey and socks. If you need anything, there'll be people around, so just ask. But at that point, like, you know, it was it was a good reminder that you know it was, you're just kind of in the background, right? They're not going to not take care of you because, you know, that they're it's first class. But um, at the same time, there wasn't going to be, you weren't going to be worried about too much, you know? So just Mm -hmm. get what you got to get done and then kind of hit the road. (laughs) Um, And then how about the, like you did mention, you signed an ATO before the game, like a last minute thing. there's no financial compensation, if I recall, right? Yeah. Like Welcome for these things. Cap, uh, league, right? Even a $500 contract's a problem. We, so. 
we talked <laughs> about this. We we said you should take the league minimum divided over the number of playing days, and that should be the e bugs pay for that. Would be great. Pretty damn nice. It would be. Yeah. Be great. Do you Not get quite how it works? <laughs> do the do the boys pile it? Put some money together. I, I didn't like, have any that... of that, and I, no regrets. So that's not to throw anybody under the bus. So they were all, on, all great to me. So because I remember having you know back when I played in Calgary or whatever, and we had a few local guys that would come out and practice every now and then. This is long before the e bugs. And I remember uh, Jerome McGinley, our captain, would come to us and be like, "Hey boys, you got to pony up a little bit of money. Just say thanks for coming out and helping out at practice or whatever." But a game is a whole different scenario i'm thinking i'm like geez you preserved the win we're gonna put a little heat on the blackhawks <laughs> not that they need any more in the last little while here but i would have liked to have seen them done something for you i mean that's a that's a pretty remarkable thing to be come in and be able to preserve the win and is it the biggest stop was probably the one on stastny right is it a pass from like line a out of the corner or something yeah just come across yeah, the I mean, blocker side probably looking back on it, he doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of uh wood on that shot i guess it's not wood anymore but um he might he might have used it he's got that big old paddle out there right a lefty coming in on you i mean good player i played against him in university and professionally for a number of years and he's still going to this day so i mean and i think he goes cross grain like does he come back against your glove yeah yeah so that i give myself credit for like uh two saves that i think look good the save on bufflin too i wish i caught it but Mm -hmm. i'll take knocking down a, a a buff and wear it, wrister, it's fine. Um, I can, like I said, I probably could dress that up as the years go along. Maybe try to get someone to edit the video or something for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and what happened? What's that? I don't know. You're good. No, I just, yeah, just, just Photoshop. It <laughs> yeah. So I, there's a there's a photo up of uh, of that save at Johnny's Ice House in the bar. That's I made awesome. sure to get that one up there. And so I guess as we we wrap up here, like, you know, you finish up this game and all the excitement of that evening comes and goes and you continue in the e-bug role. Does it change anything after that? Does it change coming to the rink and like how you think, or are you still kind of taking that naive mindset almost and just showing up and looking for a cup of M&Ms just to hang out and watch a hockey game again? Um, I would definitely say it can't not change, um, you know, given that, you with what you experienced um the season following that uh i actually stepped away even though um there was maybe going to be some more involvement with the team with with quinville wanting like time with practice and maybe some of it identifying like maybe we should have somebody around that is facing some shots and stuff like that that was the the season that was his last there but um i i did feel like it was going to change and so mm-hmm. it just wasn't something that, um, you know, maybe it, it wasn't going to be the same anymore. And, and I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it or, or what. And so I, I didn't do very many games. I think I only ended up doing one or two. And it was really just, it was kind of a fill-in for, so I was like the e-bug to the e-bug. Um, but after not doing it for the season, I was like, you know what? I did like going to games and just, you know, going by myself and just watching hockey and, and just being around and, and stuff like that. It, again, it always seems to be like the sport. If I, if I exit, I, it leaves this void that I'm look, I feel like lost and left trying to fill. Um, 
so I reached back out after the season and was like, Hey, you know what? I I'd like to get back in the mix. Um, and so since mm-hmm. then I've been, been doing it ever since again. So, um, oh, sweet. yeah. So it's, uh, I, I still enjoy it. it. It's definitely different. Um, one, you know, not, we don't go up to the press box anymore. I think I ruined that for everybody. Um, but, you know, you can walk around the concourse and, you know, you get tapped on the shoulder and ask for a picture or something from time to time and things like that. So it's definitely different. Um, and maybe it is sometimes harder to not, like, you know, you, you watch a guy get up slow or, you know, you watch a, you see a guy take up one up high and warm up or something like that. You're maybe more in tune to, like, what needs to happen. But, um, I mean, even this year I've had to go downstairs and get dressed and, you know, now you just know people downstairs, so it's maybe a little bit easier. But yeah, it's incredible. Does it take some of the anxiety away a little bit, having done it and kind of know it, or is it still near and dear where you where you feel a little bit of that, a little bit of those butterflies? There's probably more butterflies now than there was. I, I, I. I but you got to keep them all out, right? You yeah, you know, you can't let uh, them It's funny. I, I remember a game earlier this season where I had to go downstairs, and. uh I remember kind of waiting for that call. Like, I know I'm going to have to go down, so I, I'm really already prepping to, to go grab the elevator. But it was like that moment before the phone call was like the nerves. And then once you go down, you start putting your gear on, it becomes, you know, hockey. And you, you maybe have that, those uh, protective mechanisms start to kick in again of like, maybe I need to put the brain to sleep now. Yeah, yeah. So that's, Scott, you, nobody okay. watches a game closer than a backup goalie. Yeah, right. Like that, you are so in tune with what's going on with the starter, and just watching every aspect of that. And there are certain points where I think, as the game progresses, where you kind of tend to kind of lighten it a little bit, where you check out a little bit more. But at the beginning, all that stuff, I I can remember just. You know, the pregame jitters, it's even though I'm not playing, there's the notion that at any point I might have to go in and preserve this game. Well, the, the season that um, Fleury was here was was actually kind of, a, I, I think, kind of an adjustment for me because of the way he kind of approaches the game. Like going full tilt and warm-ups, taking break waves, like diving around. Like I'm like, holy cow, like this guy's making me nervous just watching him. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even got to the game yet, and then... You know, he'd be on, like, one knee, and the play would be at the red line coming towards him, and he'd just be kind of resting. And that's just, like, his mentality of how he can approach the game. So it took me a little while to, like, figure out what was uh, – it was just him, like, and his way of, of, of approaching the game. But all of that stuff was, like, making me nervous to start. I'm like, can, is he on one knee because he can't get up? Is he on one knee just because he's so relaxed in this game? Like, he's seen it all. Like, nothing's phasing him. Um, right. so I had to kind of learn that. Uh, so some of those early games that season, I think I was sweating more than the players were. Nothing was even, nothing even was askew. Well, that's a great point. You do get to know your, your starting goalies inside and out, right? And, and they're so different. And obviously, you know, having watched a few yourself now with the Hawks in the last handful of years, there's been turnover and there's been different individuals come but you kind of get a sense for how they operate on a game day and there's things that look normal and then there's other things that just don't look normal and when you're getting to know a new guy and they're just kind of all over the map like flurry is i mean he's 
obviously a legendary goalie who's just had this remarkable career who seems to be so lighthearted about everything. It's almost one of those mindsets that I will, would have loved to have had myself, but I couldn't. I needed to have that high level of focus. But just watching those guys sometimes can give you a little bit of anxiety in, in the lead up to it, and especially if you don't really know them yeah. that well yet. And, like, and the other thing, too, is like you got to remember you're not – you're not just there for the Hawks. Like you're there for the other team. So you're watching warm up. You got four guys that you're kind of watching uh, take the ice there. And, you know, when people come to the games with me and stuff like that, I'll bring family or friends or whatever. And um, I think they, they sometimes like, you know, they're there to just enjoy the game. And I'm like, I got to go out and watch warm up. And they're like, what? The game doesn't start for like a half an hour. I'm like, I, I have to, like, I need to be out seeing the ice before they step on the ice. Like, I got to see it all. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, all right, well, we're just going <laughs> to, whatever you need, bud, I guess. I'm like, you're not here the same way I'm here. Like, so you just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. We don't need any conversation. I'm watching this yeah. hockey game yeah. and both this ends is, of the ring. Yeah. So it, um, it, it's all, it's just a different experience for me. But I, again, it was one of those ones where, I, I enjoy doing it and I'm a realist like that's got to come to an end at some point here. I'm not getting younger by, by each day that goes by, but um, for as long as I can maybe stick around, I'll uh, throw my name in the hat, at least for some. That's so cool. I think that's the coolest thing ever. And just to, to see it continually happening uh, across the league is, is remarkable. And I think, like you said, that the most bizarre thing, maybe it was most recently, was it, um, Dallas's goalie. Did they play for Anaheim? Yeah, yeah. So I think the, I saw. Yeah, a couple yep. other. I mean, I guess yep. this year there was the the Oilers threw a guy in for a couple minutes um, at the end of a game, but I think that was a little mm-hmm. bit of a different scenario, right? Um, it wasn't really due to injury or or need. It was um, just yeah, different than the scenarios that have played out in the past. But both the other guys that yeah. have, have had to go in to play played for the road team. Right. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, Matt Berlin played uh, Edmonton versus Chicago. That was uh, that was one that went in, and then they dressed an e bug at the uh, Winter Classic because um, was it Casey DeSmith got hurt or Tristan Jari? Got yeah. Hurt? Right. Jerry got hurt. He didn't play, but but they dressed him. So there's, but yeah, and then the ducks, uh, ducks e bugs steals. Yeah, that was uh, that was last year. I mean, that's the thing. Every time, every time a goalie goes down, an e bug's getting ready. Mm -hmm. In in some fashion, whether it's in the team's room or in some auxiliary locker room in the depths of the rink somewhere or or something like that, but um, one way or another, they're they're putting on some something. Um, so their night got m- infinitely more interesting than it was minutes before then. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but that's the way it works for now. I suppose it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. So Scott, you, um, you did a, a panel. There's a great YouTube. It's called, um, uh, beer league to big league. I don't know. You, you, I'm sure you remember, there's a bunch of guys out there on the stage and you, you said something that I thought was, was really cool. And it speaks to the humility and the down to earth nature of hockey players, even at the NHL level and the access and how they are with fans. And you said at the end of the day, when you walked into the locker room, they just became another group of hockey guys. And so 
that perspective of taking everybody down to the level of this is just hockey and these are just hockey players. Yep. They're in an elite level, but it, it kind of speaks to baselining everybody and, and sort of that mindset of going, look, this is not something to, to lose my mind about. Let's stay humble. Let's stay approachable. And these are just hockey guys too. So I thought that that was a really, really cool way to approach your experience and the perspective of being around that group of people. Yeah. Special elite players, but they're hockey guys. Yeah. And, and I, that's, I think uh, an important note because I look at that game and it's effectively like a lost season for Chicago at that point in time, they're just playing out the year. Um, But also mixed into that group were guys that are going to go into the hall of fame and they're up four, two in a game and you enter like, why does Duncan Keith need to block a shot in a third period of, you know, a, a game they're up, you know, by four when a, an NHL goalie probably takes that from the blue line and it's an easy save for them. He, he probably makes a different effort. Um, but, you know, they're, they ramp up for you and you, you literally didn't know them, you know, hours before that. And you, you still don't know them in that moment. Um but that just shows like they understand like you're out there playing and they're going to play for you. So I, I really think like you for at least those 14 minutes, like they view you as a teammate. Right. And like, you're not some outsider that's trying to infiltrate their world. Um, And so I, you know, there's, could spin it. Like, is there a level of like trust that they don't think you're going to stop that puck? Maybe. But I, I look at it as it's respect, right? Like they're they're treating you like a hockey player too, or a person that awesome. that they're um, you know going to do what they need to do for you. And so it's just something that um, I thought was really really awesome about the experience that they were out there kind of battling in front of you to um, you know do their part to make it uh, as as best as kind of could be, kind of controlling their components, right, of of the whole thing. It's phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know. Hockey's special. Sports in general are special. I think anytime you have someone that steps into a situation that's maybe not the norm, I think everybody buckles down, right? And even to this day, like, you'll have, we see that in beer league a little bit too, right? We got to throw in a, our uh, our backup goalie tonight. So it's like, all right, we got to buckle down on defense. Let's let's pick this guy maybe, up and help him out a little bit. check once. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I'll block shots. I'm down there. I'll be down moderate butterfly, not a full butterfly, of course, but I'll, I'll do a token shot block here and there. Pick the guys up a little bit. So yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a special game. I mean, the, the, the whole storyline for you, Scott is just a, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, such a unique experience and I don't know. It's just every time I see it, I'm like, that's, that's cool. That's what makes, to me, hockey special. That's what makes the game special. And I love to hear stories about guys wanting to go the extra mile to make sure that one, when you go in there, you have success and they're all going to rally around you and pick you up. Yeah. That speaks to the, speaks to the character. Yeah. Yeah. I I wholeheartedly agree to that. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing that out of nowhere, right. They just, they got your back and they don't know you. And that doesn't happen everywhere, but uh, and I don't mean everywhere in hockey, but just in life in general, you know, you come into mm-hmm. a new situation. It, it doesn't necessarily always play out like that. 
Um, yep. So it's it's, uh, it's just a really great mentality and one that, you know, I hope to instill in people like that I work with in professional life is like we're kind of in this. So however we can help each other, that it's better for the success of all of us. Um, so it's just sort of like good life lesson too. Probably one of the unique aspects of sport that we want to instill in all our children and part of the reason that although youth sports seem to be kind of going crazy these days, there are still a lot of terrific life lessons and things that you can pull out of it. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, with my kids involved in sports and stuff too, that's, that's, I hear all the stories and sometimes parents question some of the things they're reading and things like that. And I'm like, but that's, you know, that's our problem as adults that w with what we're doing here within our program and with our teams, right? Like we've got to make it where it's like fun and engaging and they're getting good life lessons. And, you know, we're not, we're focusing on the right things and not trying to, um, you know, run it like a, an NHL program, like that all these kids are professionals and they have to do things this way or that way. Like it's just for fun and, um, you know, things will go the way they go. But let's, uh, let's, you know, get out on the rink and let's skate and control the puck and have some fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, guys, I think that's pretty sweet. I don't know, Dave, is there anything else that you want to hit on before we wrap up and finish up? But Scott, I'd just like to say thank you so much for your time this morning. We really appreciate it. Obviously, one of the really great stories to come out of the NHL in terms of, yeah uniqueness and and how it played out so um thank you for taking time to share that with us and also your career story in general yeah i appreciate having yes. me it's yeah. uh, enjoyable it's always kind of fun to reminisce and and talk and and uh kind of think about all the things maybe that uh i, I you you maybe forgotten um so it's, mm -hmm. it's fun to kind of go down those memory lanes no, absolutely, Scott. Thanks, thanks for your time, and we appreciate you uh, sharing all that perspective with us. Thank you. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate. It is intended for private, non-commercial use, and the views presented by your hosts or guests do not reflect on any agency, company, or organization that they work for.